Hey guys, welcome back to Shannon Smith Shooting Podcast. Appreciate appreciate you guys joining me as always. Uh, I got a good show lined up for you today. I uh, just finished our scattergun challenge at the Universal Shooting Academy yesterday, our second annual all shotgun match. That rained almost all day, so that was awesome. But uh, the guys and gals sucked it up and finished out the match in the wet and had a had a good time. So appreciate everybody coming out. And uh, supporting our match. Olympics finished up last week. I know I mentioned that on the last podcast. Big fan of the Olympics. Uh, I meant to mention one thing. I don't, I don't think I covered it in the last podcast. If I did, I apologize. But I don't pre-listen to them or re-listen to them after I cast them generally. So, I, But I don't think I covered this. But I saw a tweet from Bill Murray uh, on Facebook. Somebody uh, captured a screenshot of a tweet. So who who knows if it really came from him or not. But... He said something. He said uh, they should include a a normal person, an a, an average person, in every event, just for reference. And I thought that was pretty funny, uh, especially being from a competitive aspect and, and how it relates to shooting. I was watching uh, one of the events, and I like the obscure events. The you know obviously the shooting stuff is cool. I like the fencing and uh, rowing, kayaking, and you know obviously we get we get plenty of golf, tennis, and. Uh, the, the major sports on, on TV year-round, and gymnastics and, and swimming uh, are, are cool. Obviously, they're, they're premier events of the Summer Olympics, but I don't frankly care that much about them as long as we're winning. But I was watching a rowing event, and I don't even remember the the proper name for the rowing, but it was the, the guys were on one knee, well, one knee down, one knee up, kneeling position with a, a single paddle oar rowing on, on one side, just the, the right side if they're right-handed. Uh, it looked like a islander type of, of rowing system, maybe. Uh, probably could have researched this beforehand, but I didn't. But anyway, I was watching the event, and this one guy was touted to win. I guess his family was steeped in history and of rowing. He did end up winning. He was he was close. But there was a there was two dudes, and one specifically that was way back, like not even close. Like how are you even in the, in the Olympics, bro? But I got to thinking about it. I was like, can you imagine if me or some average dude was out there, you know, trying to keep up with these guys? We'd probably just getting off the starting line as, as they were finishing. Uh, and obviously the same with swimming and, and the track and field events and some of the the more premier stuff. I mean, the, the athletes that are there competing are are super close, coming down to, you know, seconds, hundredths, thousandths of a second in some situations. And, you know, those guys are losing by one-tenth of a second. And imagine if it was a regular Joe out there trying to keep up how, how far back they'd be. And the same goes with shooting. I mean, the the, the top shooters in the world, uh, the Steel Challenge, in fact, just finished up this weekend. This is uh, Sunday night as I record this. The Steel Challenge just finished yesterday. And uh, Max won out to KC by less than a second. Uh, I think there were 70, uh, 73 or 74 second range. And eight, you know, eight courses of fire, five strings per stage with a throw out. And, you know, it came down to... Uh, I don't know, six or seven or eight tenths of a second. So it's really easy and, and painful to woulda, coulda, shoulda that. And what did I do throughout the course of this uh, that I could have shaved, you know, five tenths here, five tenths there, and bam, I win. And that's what it comes down to in the sport. 
And, uh, you know, we have that a little bit if you look at a new shooter, say a D-class shooter or something coming into to a USPSA Nationals, and it's very easy to gauge their performance because it's their score to look at it on a percentage basis. But you grab an average shooter off the street that, you know, shoots in their backyard or thinks they're, uh, they know what to do with a gun because they're a dude or, you know, whatever, they, they would even hold a candle to, to our guys. So I thought that was kind of funny. Um, I want to jump right into questions this week. Uh, there is going to be an aspect of, you know, self-defense and concealed carry and that type of stuff to the show. I haven't covered a lot of that in the, the first few episodes. I had a question from Bill on, uh, came through, I think, Facebook, maybe email, but he asked, uh, curious, I know you shoot Glocks in single action uh, in competition. Curious if any of those 1911s make it through your carry rotation or if you stick with Glocks. Been enjoying the DPL matches with my carry gear. Thank you. I uh, appreciate the question, Bill. And uh, no, my, my single action guns do not make a rotation. In fact, I don't I don't even have a rotation. I've my carry guns, my carry gun, and that's kind of the way it's always been. Um, when the when the pocket guns first kind of started coming out, you know, when you live in Florida, it's very easy, or you know, else, elsewhere parts of the world, it's very easy to say, well, I, I want to carry a Glock 17 or I want to carry a Glock 19, so I have the the ergonomics, the sight radius, the round count, etc. But uh, if, if you commit to legit no shit carrying a gun 24 7 uh, it's difficult you have to make some you know lifestyle changes some wardrobe decisions and uh, it's not an easy task and if you if you've done it you you know that but you know it's one thing to say well if i'm going to to this part of town i'll carry the gun if i'm going to this part of town i won't um i don't agree with that opinion but you know it's your opinion you can do what you want but again if you're going to if you're going to commit to carrying uh, all the time it's much much easier to carry a smaller gun and when the when the quote-unquote pocket guns really came around i carried a uh Kel-Tec 32 believe it or not for years and there was uh, actually a little thing on the internet uh, i think it was called a fluff and buff <laughs> and some things you can go through kind of polish up the gun and take some of the tool marks out and some things like that you know i did that and I still have the gun. That little thing was remarkably reliable. Yeah, it's just a thirty-two. Well, it was just a thirty-two that I had on me 24-7. You know, you can slip it into your pocket, literally a little pocket holster. And whether you're wearing dress clothes, jeans, shorts, cargo shorts, whatever, uh, it was very, very easy to carry around. Perfect world, of course. I'd rather be carrying a bigger gun. But in the real world, that was at least something I had with me 24-7. Uh, Ruger came out with their LCP. And uh, I tried that out, and actually liked it. The you know I thought the 380 uh, out of a gun that size would be a little bit unmanageable, a little too much recoil, a little too hard to shoot. Uh, but it wasn't at all. It was a super super great gun to fire. Uh, obviously the trigger sucks, the sights suck, but you're dealing with a pocket gun. It was just a fraction larger than uh, than the uh, Keltec 32, so I moved to that. Carried that for years, and I don't remember the dates on these, but, you know, between the 32 and the LCP, we're probably talking, you know, seven, six, seven years time frame. Uh, then Glock came out with their 42 in 380. I uh, tried that out at a local range, and uh, it was markedly better than the uh, LCP. I mean, the sights were way better. The trigger was way better. Uh, I can I can legit 
clear a, a 20 yard plate rack with the Glock 42, no problem. Uh, the downside is it, I didn't feel like I could pocket carry it. It is a little bit bigger than the uh, than the LCP, and it just didn't. I mean, if you're wearing baggy cargo shorts, you can get away with it, but if you're wearing jeans, dress pants, which I don't wear very often, but you know if you were, it's I just don't think it's a legit pocket carry gun. There might be guys out there doing it, but it doesn't work for me. So you have to go to a holster. Well, that was always a big contention of mine. Like, you know, I always thought, well, once you have to go to a holster, well, you can carry whatever you want. You can carry a Glock 19, no problem. And that's why I chose the the pocket guns at the time because, uh, you know, carrying the holster inside the waistband is is flat out more difficult. And, but I was proven wrong when the when that when that small Glock came out that yeah you have to go to a holster but. An inside the waistband holster with a Glock 42 is not the same thing as an inside the waistband holster with a Glock 19. Uh, so I've switched to that. I don't know. It's been a few years now, and super happy with it. Again, carry it, you know, 24/7, literally. And uh, I carry appendix some, but primarily uh, behind the hip, four o'clock. Um, I have a 40-minute commute to work, and I don't generally carry it on me while I'm driving. Uh, especially going to work, um, and I don't normally stop, so I, I normally just go straight to work. But so I throw it in the floorboard, and there it is. But if I do have to stop, gas station or grab a Gatorade or whatever, I'll use it, jam it in. Appendix carry is the cool term now, but we always called it Mexican style when I was growing up. So I'll jam it in Mexican style with a holster and and uh, in the store and out. But generally speaking, if I'm going out for dinner or, or uh, with the wife or whatever, you know, dressed up, I'll uh, I normally carry at four o'clock. I think it's more comfortable, it's more concealable, uh, easy to draw, etc. Uh, I'm not a, I'm not against appendix carry by any means, but you know, you see a lot of YouTube videos out there that dudes are doing lightning draws out of appendix carry. You know, five point five point six draws, super impressive. And hey, maybe they carry that way all the time, but I don't know. They have this massive, massive Kydex holster with a spare mag and a Glock 19 with a light on it. And, yeah, it comes out pretty well. But, you know, let's see in your Affliction T-shirt walking downtown carrying that and see how well it prints. I don't I don't know. Hey, I'm sure the guy's doing it. Nothing against him. It's not for me. Again, if you're going to carry 24-7, it takes some effort and some changes and some consideration on what you're carrying and, and where you're going. And I certainly recommend you carry 24/7. It's, you know, I'm not a fan of, again, like I said, if you're, if I'm going here, I'll carry. If I'm going here, I won't. You know, sure as shit, the time you need it, you know, you're not going to have it. So I would either make a commitment to do it, or make a commitment not to do it. You know, either either way, it's not a wrong decision. But um, once you make once you make the changes, it's it's not a big deal. I'm uh, 43 years old now. I started carrying when I was first legally allowed at 21, and have really, with a few exceptions, uh, carried every day, every day since. And, and I've changed over the years. I carried a revolver for a long time. And, um, you know, you just you make do. You make, you make it happen. So to answer your question, no, I don't, I don't rotate around. Um, only exception would be if I am, more, you know, if I am dressed up in slacks with a shirt tucked in, uh, I will go back to the pocket gun. I'll grab the LCP and slip that in the pocket. But uh, my lifestyle, my job, where I go, uh, very, very rarely you'll catch me in uh, dress pants with a shirt tucked in. Uh, if I'm dressed up, I normally have a jacket on. 
in uh, in which case you can carry four Glock with a inside the waistband holster anyway because the jacket's covering it. So thanks for the question. I'll hit more on some some tactical self defense stuff uh, in future episodes, but that'll that'll get us started. Uh, he mentioned the DPL match. That's a defensive pistol league we hosted at Universal Shooting Academy. Uh, it's a match I started uh, last year. It's my incarnation of uh, what a quote-unquote concealed carry match should be. It was built for the purpose of using your real gear uh, out of your real holster in a somewhat competitive environment. So the this courses of fire are much shorter. Uh, targets are much closer. You know, stage round counts are four to to eight, ten. You know, sometimes we'll do a twelve round stage, but not very often. It's it's not IDPA. I don't like the IDPA rule sets, uh, and that's not what the match was designed for. It was really designed for me to have a place to go shoot my Glock 42, again in a somewhat competitive environment, somewhat stressful environment, um, and then it's kind of turned into now also a good opportunity to introduce shooters to the competitive sports, competitive shooting sports, in the lowest intimidation level possible. So again, targets are close, stages are not complicated, um, round count is low, the stage, uh, the match is running, you know, 50 rounds maximum for the for the whole match. So you can grab your LC9 or your uh, Beretta or, or whatever you're carrying, you know, one box of ammo off the shelf, 50 rounds, and you're good to go. And it's been super successful. So we're getting a growing and growing crowd, a lot of new shooters, you know, that you would not have otherwise see. Some of them are crossing over into the USPSA matches, into the three-gun matches, and that's what we're looking for, you know, cultivating new shooters, introducing them to the sport. And then for those of us that are current shooters, if you want an opportunity to come out and shoot that weird gun that's in your safe that you never get a chance to shoot, this is a good place for it. You know, I've got uh, a few guns around the house that are, you know, hideout guns. I've got a couple guns in the car, and, you know, those guns need love too. So I'll, I'll bring out the J-frame occasionally or bring out the bedside Glock 19 with a light on it and get a chance to shoot a little bit. Uh, and you see targetry that you're not going to see at your regular indoor range. You're, you're not going to be able to shoot swingers and max traps and those types of things when you got to normal range. Uh, so, again, just gives you an opportunity to, to try those out. So that's been uh, super fun and, and very popular. And I uh, appreciate all the, all the support shooters coming out and uh, supporting that match. Stand by for cigar lighting operations. I think I've pretty much given up on the on the cigar test that I was touting. Again, I think I said this, but as my wife said, I'm allergic to flavor, so I never try anything new. That's a Perdomo Lot 23 and a little glass of Jameson's on a Sunday afternoon. So it's a nice day to sit on the porch and do a podcast for you guys. Uh, we had another question come in from Mario through Facebook, and this is be our main topic of the afternoon. He asked, when you're preparing for stages, how much does stage math come into play? In medium to long courses, do you go for speed or, or do you go more for points? Um, or in, in shorter courses, are you looking more for points or are you trying to get speed there too? And it's a good question. I mean, it's an age-old question in competitive shooting. I had a training company when I first started Fast Academy that was, that was my company. I used to put out these um, emails to my past students, just a Word document, 
and it was called R- RFT, Random Fast Thoughts. And I would, similar to our, our podcast of, of today, there was no podcast back then, so kind of whatever shooting topic I was thinking about, I would write up uh, a um, Word document, today you'd call it a blog, and, and send it out to my students. And I, and I did a pretty extensive one on this topic. And when I started shooting and was getting competitive and, and getting better, I put a lot, a lot, a lot of time into this question, more so than is required, and um, did a lot of math and, you know, figuring out what points are worth in time, you know, what time is worth in points, and I'm no, I'm no mathlete, but it's a pretty simple equation. You can figure it out. Uh, it all stems from the hit factor, and at the end of lots of thought, lots of calculations, lots of writing, I came to the conclusion that you're pretty much always going to shoot as fast and accurately as you can, uh, regardless of the situation. And that's about all you can do. You, I mean, you can't magically run a 12-second stage in eight because you think it ought to be done faster. It just doesn't work that way. You're, you know, you're not going to hit the berm half the time, much less scoring good hits on the target. Um, but there is what I call a, you know, a flavor of the stage, or you're going to get a sense of the hit factor of the stage. Everything stems off of the hit factor. And I'm not going to go into the intricacies of USPSA scoring right now because it's, it's complicated, but uh, simply put, it's, it's points per second. How many points did you earn for every second you were on the course of fire competing? And that's what your hit factor figures out. That's what that number is. The higher the hit factor, and this is my opinion, but the higher the hit factor, uh, the more weighted speed is. The lower the hit factor, the more weighted points are. Um, but the problem is, again, it all stems from the hit factor, and hit factors are personal. I mean, if you're a if you're a C or D or B class shooter out there, your hit factor on a stage is, is not going to be the same as my hit factor. And to further complicate matters, is you have to understand or have a pretty good idea of what your hit factor on that stage is going to be before you shoot it which is very difficult to do. Uh, you've got a really good grasp of your skill set, your times for different tasks, uh, transitions, reloads, movement, etc. Um, you know, what percentage of the points you think you're going to shoot, and then you can kind of get a rough idea of what your factor might be. That's not easy to do. If you're competing um, at a match, you know, on the same squad with somebody that's similar skill set, and they happen to shoot the stage before you, well, that can give you you know, that can give you a pretty good idea of what kind of factor you're looking at. Uh, but it's still not an exact science. Well, then once you know that factor, you know, you have to understand what a what a relatively high factor is for you and what a relatively low factor is for you. Again, it's not going to be the same as it would be for me. Um, but with all that said, you know, if I think the stage is, is a higher factor, uh, I might push the speed a little bit. If the stage is a lower factor, then I'm going to, I hate to say aim more, but I'm going to, you know, make sure, make sure I'm getting solid points, uh, ver, ver, you know, relative to, to the other type of stage. And there's no right answer in there for where that number is. Uh, an easy way to look at it is uh, the only way to your hit factor to go up is to earn points. The only way to earn a point is to shoot a target. Uh, the clock's always running. So if you're not actively shooting a target at that exact moment in time, 
then you're not earning any points and your hit factor is going down because the clock's running. So if you see a stage with a lot of non-shooting shit going on, um, you know, load the gun, unloaded starts, open this door, uh, carry this dummy over there, lift up this port, uh, you know, roll the bowling ball, any weird shit like that, that's a pretty good indicator that the factor is going to be a little bit lower. If um, it's a lot of super close targets and, and a lot of them with not a lot of reloads required and they're relatively close, uh, then that's a pretty good indicator indicator that it's going to be a higher factor. A lot of a lot of folks will call those a hose mat or hose stage or hose fest stage. Uh, so something like that, the factor is going to tend to be higher. And in that case, I might I might push the speed a little bit. But it's not, okay, this looks like a higher factor, so I'm just going to go fast. I ain't Ricky Bobby. Uh, you've got to use proper technique. And the way I go faster is I would use a, if you train with me, you'll understand this better, but I, I would use like a, a point shooting uh, sight focus for maybe an 18-yard target, you know, something that I would not normally recommend. Uh, or by the same token, maybe I'll take that 18-yard target on the move because it lays itself out well from, from this point to that point, uh, when normally I would probably not recommend shooting an 18-yard target on the move. So when, when, I, when I say I'm going to push or I say I'm going to go faster, I'm using tactical application of techniques in order to do that. And then I don't therefore get pissed off at myself if something goes wrong. You know, if I have a miss on that 18-yard target that I was shooting on a move or an edge or delta or something like that, I'm not going to beat myself up about it because I made that tactical decision to push right there knowing that it was a risk. And, you know, I'm a gambler. Sometimes you, you roll the dice and you lose. So don't, don't get upset about it because, you know, if you, again, if you math it out, if you'd have come to a, you know, come to a stop, set up in position, post up, take that shot for your guaranteed A's, get out of position and move on, you know, by the time you add up that time, it's going to be better most likely without having a miss. But not a lot. It's not going to be a ton better. You know, being quick, uh, you know, as much as we preach accuracy in my classes and we preach accuracy at University Shooting Academy, if you shot this game very long, you understand this game is speed biased and you've got to be fast. Uh, being slow hurts you way worse than, than being down in points or having a miss or maybe two misses. You know, you can't, you can't have six or seven misses a stage, obviously. There's, there's, there's a line there, but... You, you know, I would always err on the side of speed. Um, and you, you run that same tactical scenario we just talked about, and you're making that decision to shoot that target with a, with a lesser focus or to shoot that target on the move when you know you shouldn't. Uh, let's say you do hang that delta on there or you, you catch a Charlie. Well, now you're going to be way better off you know, in the long run than if, you had, than if you had set up. So I hope that answers Mario's question. It's not an easy one to answer, but... Um, you know, the bottom line is you always want to be as fast and accurate as you can. I would, um, you know, throw the general principle in there of air on the side of speed. You always want to try to push the speed aspect. But it's done through your technique application, not through just, oh, hey, I want to go fast. You know, that's not the way it works. You've got to use the proper techniques for the proper targets. You can make a decision to use a, you know, not perfect technique on, on a given target because you're trying to be faster, and that's fine. But it's not just going through slinging the letter around and, and hoping you hit chip. You got to uh, you, you got to have a plan to to attack what you're going to. I'll about wrap it up for today. This is kind of a quick one. Uh, again, I appreciate you guys listening. 
be sure to hit me with your uh, questions. I've still got a, a couple more in the in the in the queue, as we say, to get to. So I do see them. I am making notes, and uh, I'll get to them as I can. You can reach me at shannonsmithshooting.com. Check out my Facebook, Shannon Smith Shooting. I'm trying to get a lot more videos up there. Uh, some tutorial stuff, some goofing around stuff, some match stuff. So a lot of different videos going on. Also got a YouTube channel again, Shannon Smith Shooting. Trying to get more and more videos up there. So if there's anything you guys want to see in videos, let me know. I do the best I can at uh, getting them out in a timely manner. And um, hit me with your questions on Facebook or email. I appreciate you guys' support. See you on the range.